You're listening to the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. I'm your host, Arden Cartret. This space is meant to be a tool for you to feel less alone and to learn more about how to get through what you've been through and what you're probably going through. We'll hear diverse stories from women and men in the online space, experts, and people just like you and me who are feeling the effects of miscarriage and loss in real time. This is the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. Hi, my name is Audrey Ferruja, and this is um, my miscarriage story. Um, I kind of wanted to start at the start with this. And um, so with my first pregnancy, um, I had a really typical pregnancy all the way up until 28 weeks. And I had a third trimester bleed. Um, I was laying down. I didn't feel good. So I laid down and I woke up from a nap and I stood up and I just started gushing blood. And, um, so I went to the emergency room and, um, even after delivery, there was no known cause of this bleed, but I think that was really where I started to, uh, distrust my body or question so much of what was happening you know, before I just kind of thought that I would just kind of, you know, follow the process and not really think about anything. Um, but that was a very scary time for me, probably the most scared I've ever been in my life. And um, it still affects me. I spent so much time looking up bleeds and what was going to happen. And I was so convinced that I was either going to lose the baby or that the baby would die, you know, shortly after. Um, everything did turn out fine. Um, so, but it's still something that like, I still question, I don't know why that happened. And so it's, it's always been something that's kind of plagued me. Um, 18 months later, I had a second child, um, with no issues throughout the pregnancy. Um, so, uh, I had a boy first Theodore, and then, um, my second child was a girl, Nora. Um, I got divorced and, um, then remarried. So, Six years later, I was pregnant again at 35, which was something I did not expect. It was, um, it was very happily you know, expected, but I, I wasn't expecting to have more than two children. I, I really thought that that was going to be it. And so when we made the decision to try, um, I got pregnant fairly quickly. It took a few months, um, which was kind of you know, nerve wracking, but I know in the grand scheme of things that that's nothing, but uh um, I had my third child. I was very sick during the pregnancy, but everything progressed um, as normal. I did just kind of want to note too, because it's one of the things that I wanted to talk about is just kind of the care that women receive. With my first two children, I had a different OB. And when I experienced that third trimester bleed, I remember in particular being in one appointment and just, I couldn't stop crying. I was just very anxious and concerned. And my doctor um, looked at me and said, you have to stop. Like, this is ridiculous. She was, she was like yelling at me and I didn't realize at the time I kind of just thought, okay, yeah, I do need to get over this. But I think about how inappropriate that was now. And so through other decisions, I changed 
um, my OB. And so with my third child, I had such a different experience with the care that I received um, that, that that really impacted and uh, uh, shaped a lot of um, what happened um, with my miscarriage. So uh, I had three children at that point. And I'm a very planned person, like extremely planned. And so what we decided was we had three wonderful children. And if it was in the plan to have a fourth, great, but we weren't going to try. So before I was um, with Isaac, with my third son, I was, um, I was tracking, I was, you know, kind of uh, planning to see when this would happen. And so we really just decided if it was going to happen, it was going to happen. Great. So we weren't tracking anything. And um, I didn't have very regular periods because I was still breastfeeding from Isaac, but I just was trying to consider my age and didn't know, didn't know how long it would take if it was going, if I was going to get pregnant. So I found out that I was pregnant on um, Friday the 13th. So it was, I remember that specifically it was November 13th. I had a little trouble knowing exactly how far I lo- along I was, um, but um, multiple, multiple, <laughs> I took a lot of pregnancy tests, um, all positive. So I had to, I called to make my appointment with my OB. And I remember it was because of the time period, I think that my doctor was on vacation for a little bit. So it took a little bit longer for me to get in, um, but that was okay. So I was going to be coming in when it was like, I was about 10 weeks, which is further along than I had uh, been seen before. In between time, I just kept taking pregnancy tests. And there was one test um, that I remember and it was, it still showed as being pregnant, like the second line was there, but it was lighter. And that, it seemed really odd because it was like very dark lines. Like I was very, it was very clear. And then all of a sudden I started getting these lighter lines and um, that was really concerning. And I thought I was looking everything up and I thought, okay, maybe it's just the time of day that I was, you know, testing or maybe, uh, you know, how much I drink. And so I, I try not to think too much because I overthink everything. I try not to put too much stock into it, but that was kind of my first, like, I, I don't know, something didn't feel right that had never happened before. I'd also had some, what well, I thought like cramping. I just, I just didn't feel right. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know though, if that's me looking back and feeling that and like having that hindsight or, um, because even, um, you know, with previous pregnancies, I've, I've not felt, you know, well, or I've had some, you know, stomach pain that didn't turn out to be anything. So I don't, I don't really know if that's associated or not, but I did have some of that. Um, so I finally had my OB intake appointment and because I was a little further along, my doctor tried um, using the Doppler to find the heartbeat because he thought that there was a chance for that. And he couldn't find the heartbeat, which is when you're waiting, you're just laying back and the doctor is scanning and there's just, there's nothing there. It's, I'm like holding my breath, trying to move or just hope, you know, something would be heard. And it wasn't, um, he wasn't concerned at all. He thought, okay, it's just, you're still early. We don't know, you know, your exact dates. Um, 
from where, you know, where we're just kind of guessing maybe the baby's in a different position. So he wasn't worried at all. And we scheduled my ultrasound, which luckily they could get me in and it was the next day. So I didn't have to wait very long for my ultrasound. The bad part of that though, was that my husband um, was finishing up school. And so he had a final exam during that time. So he could not come to the ultrasound with me. Um, But I was really concerned after not hearing the heartbeat with the Doppler and having these, the lines on the test. And so we decided to still move forward with um, the date. And instead I was just going to bring my sister who I'm very close with. So I would still have somebody there. Um, even if it wasn't my husband, we just thought it would be better that way. And we could just kind of get some more information. Um, so the day of my ultrasound, I was nervous, but I mean, I, I knew what to expect. I had been through this before. Um, so we went and it was the same ultrasound tech that I had all throughout my last pregnancy, which was not that long ago. My, my son at that point, I think was eight months. And so, um, she came in, you know, she knew me, I had a, you know, a somewhat of a relationship with her from seeing her through that pregnancy. And, um, so came in and we kind of started joking. I was, I felt like I was already showing quite a bit, probably just because it was my fourth pregnancy. And so it was like, we were, we were joking like, oh, is there just one, you know, kind of as she started, is there one baby or is there more? And when it came up, I could see the baby. So that was kind of, I felt relief with that. Um, but it just, it didn't look right. It didn't look like the other ultrasounds that I had. And I was actually expecting the baby because I was further along than any other ultrasound that I had had before to look more mature, like, like more developed. And it, it did not look like that. And so I already felt very nervous and I could tell she was, she was like switching views. She was trying a lot of things, kind of moving around. Um, and you know, I know that ultrasound techs are trained not to show, um, you know, if there's something wrong. So, I mean, I, I couldn't tell from her face, but I could tell kind of how she was working that something wasn't right. And then she said, okay, we just have to wait one minute. I have to go get someone. And that's never happened before in any ultrasound that I've ever had. That's never happened. So I, I knew I looked at my sister. I started to shake. Like I, I knew it was not right. Um, so the doctor came in and confirmed that there was not a heartbeat. Um, and it looked like with the growth that I had miscarried at eight weeks, two days, they had estimated that I was supposed to be about 10 weeks, three days. Um, but it didn't make sense to me because I wasn't bleeding. And I, like, I think back now about how naive that was, but I thought, you know, you, when you miscarry, you bleed and I didn't have that. So it, so I, I understood what they were saying, but it just didn't make sense that I had had a miscarriage because I, I wasn't bleeding. And I remember crying loudly, but, um, it was, you know, kind of thinking about like the office. And I remember having this thought, like, I have to stop because there are other women in the office and like going for their appointments. And I didn't want that to taint like their experience, like they could hear me. Um, so they had me go over to my doctor's office. Cause, um, the, there, there are two offices kind of branches 
within um, where my OB practices. And so um, I went over to where he was, that office. Um, and it was difficult because my husband was still in his final exam and I didn't want to call in the middle of that and kind of take him away from that. So I decided just to, just to wait. Um, like I mentioned, my sister was with me. And so on the way there, she shared with me that she had a miscarriage. I mean, we're, we're very close and I knew nothing about this. And so that was kind of my first time starting to hear that this happens to women, women that I'm close with, and that you have no idea. It's just not something that's talked about, at least in, in my circle. Um, I, so I came into the office, there was a wait to actually see my doctor and he came in and he was so caring. I'm so appreciative of that. He gave me a hug. Um, he talked to me, like he looked at me and I felt like I had seen just like a couple of people through that point, but it was the first time that he looked at me like a person. So, um, since the, since the miscarriage, not, you know, before he did as well, but he explained, um, the options that I had, which what he presented to me was that I could wait for the baby to pass naturally, which he said, there's no way of knowing when that would happen. So it could be that day and it could be two months from now. He, so he said like the most amount of time that they would wait would be eight weeks um, for that to happen. Um, I could have a DNC. So I could have um, the surgery to um, remove the tissue um, or I could take pills so I could pass the baby at home. Um, I chose to take the pills because I couldn't stand the thought of waiting. Um, at this point, we were about a week before Christmas and the holidays. And I just, I didn't want that, like thinking about just waiting for that to happen. Again, that's kind of just, that wasn't who I am. And so um, that's what I chose to do. So he sat with me and counseled me for a bit. And then um, he let me kind of use the room to take time because at that point, my husband was done with his final, so I could call him. So then it was really starting the process of telling people, which was so difficult. Um, so I called my husband first and I was so hard trying to tell him. I felt like I was getting the words out, but he couldn't understand me. So I kept having to repeat it. And then he, he finally understood what I was saying. Um, and so he, he was actually at work. So he left work to come home to meet me at home. And then I had to call my mom who was watching two of my children while I was at the appointment. And so, you know, she said, you know, do what you have to do. I'll stay here and watch the kids. And then I had to call my friend who was, um, with my, my daughter had uh, something at school. And so she was taking her to school for that. Um, so she wouldn't miss that from while I was at my appointment. So I had to call her and it was kind of the same thing, like saying that. So I got home just as my husband does. We actually kind of fortunately pulled up right at the same time. And we didn't really say much to each other. Um, we pretty much just cried and hugged and 
we went upstairs to our room and laid down, but we didn't, we didn't do a lot of talking. It was still very difficult to get out. Um, but the hardest piece was eventually the kids had to come home. It felt like we were kind of just laying there for a pretty long time. I actually don't know kind of how long, but they did have to come home. So that was the point that was the hardest was telling them. My oldest two were eight years old and six years old at the time. And then the youngest, like I said, was eight months. So he didn't understand, but it was difficult telling the kids because they both understood and didn't. So they, they understood the fact that, you know, when I said that the baby died, you know, what that meant, but they had so many questions of why that I couldn't answer. So that was difficult. Yeah. I think that explaining to children when a baby that they haven't met has died, it's like, that has to be the most difficult part of being a parent on that side of things. I really empathize with that. Yeah. I mean, and they were really excited to, you know, they had the experience of having um, the younger sibling and they were really excited for that too. So very hard to take that away. Yeah, of course. Um, You mentioned, you mentioned with the fourth pregnancy, having some symptoms like cramping and, you know, having the ability to compare that to your first three pregnancies that gave you healthy children. I imagine that that is kind of stressful because you have so much to compare that fourth pregnancy to. And then, like you said, like looking back at the symptoms, you're like, oh, well, that's kind of different than what I experienced before. So I think it's a unique thing that people don't think about that you could experience pregnancy loss after you have living children. And I think that your story really paints the picture of how difficult that is because one, you have so much to compare it to. And two, you have other people than just you and your partner to tell about the loss and to grieve the loss with you. It's, it's just a whole other ball game. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, and, and, um, each of my pregnancies were so different, even though they, you know, resulted in, in healthy children, they were so different that, um, and I do overanalyze everything. So it's like I said, it was kind of a, a blessing and a curse to have that because I think, okay, well that didn't happen in my previous pregnancies, but that doesn't mean kind of anything. And looking things up online is I get lost in that. Like I, oh, it's the worst. <laughs> I love hearing other stories because I think sometimes it's very comforting, but like I walk away thinking that everything is wrong after. So it's, it's hard having access to that much information just because it's, it's such an overload for me. Yeah. And, and whenever I talk to women, I always share that because I'm in the miscarriage community where I'm, I'm not done having kids. You know, I, I hope to have more children, but I'm surrounded by so much loss that naturally you wonder, like, can you manifest loss? Because if you can, I mean, I'm surrounded by it. And so I have to constantly work to remind myself that other people's stories are not my own. And just because we read about 
something bad that can happen. It won't make it happen to us, but I try to spin it to where if that were to happen to us, we know where to go for support. We know who it's happened to. We know that in the online community or in a podcast that we can find more information about it. And so I I try to always spin it that way for women because I mean, that happens, you know, you have three earth side children whenever they're sick and you Google like um, runny nose in a 16 month old, even though, you know, they're fine. It's like, could be this, could be that, or it could be deadly, go to the doctor. And it's just always terrifying. And so it, it's, a, I think it's a good reminder to tell yourself that just because you are aware of, of bad things happening, doesn't mean they're going to happen to you. And if they do happen to you, it doesn't mean they're always going to happen to you. Yeah. I went through a lot of like the the what did I do? Like when I'm driving, so my phone doesn't go all over, sometimes I'll put it between my legs. And I thought, okay, that's it. That's obviously what caused the miscarriage, which I like, logically, I know that's not it. You know, that's not what happened. Was it the fact that I exercised and like, no, I wasn't even doing anything like exerting. I don't think it was anything like that. Did I eat something? Was it because I was still breastfeeding my son? Was it too soon? And also kind of what you were saying, is I had a lot of guilt because like, was I being greedy that I had three children and, and wanted another, um, especially kind of being a part of the lost community now and hearing these women's stories that they, they want children. It feels like my, my grief is so much smaller compared to theirs because I do have children. And I know that that's not true because I know you can, be grateful for what you have and grieve at the same time. I say that I know that, but I'm still kind of working through that. But that's been a big thing is like, I am so empathetic to hearing these women's stories. And I think, well, maybe that was it. Maybe I was just too greedy and I I had a family and maybe I should have just stopped at that. Oh, Audrey, no, I cannot validate enough. Like, I am somebody who had miscarriages and infertility first. And, you know, in all honesty, there was a point in my journey where seeing somebody have multiple children, I was like, why do they need to have multiple children? I can't have one. And now I have the other side to where I, I I empathize so much with the way that your story has played out because I have my rainbow and I can't imagine going through loss with having an earth side child because you've physically see what your babies look like and who your babies become and you know what pregnancy is and how beautiful it can be and how hard it can be and you know instead of imagining what you're missing you know what you're missing and so my perspective on that is so different to where even though I've experienced two losses if I were to have a third loss with my living son I think that that grief would hit me harder for that reason it's, it's definitely something that, like I said, I'm still working through. Like I'm, I am trying to find a space where it's like both grief and grateful. And like, it's, it's okay to be both. Um, but that's still difficult. for me. Oh, it takes it. I think it took me like three years. And even then some days, you know, um, I think that realizing that you can have two emotions at one time is one thing. And then actually putting it into practice, it takes, so much effort that I think it's so tiring, but the truth is, is that 
your grief is no smaller than anybody else's. And I know that from a logical standpoint, you know that just like, you know, putting your phone on your lap while you're driving did not cause your miscarriage, but these thoughts get into your head and you can't help but think that they're true, even for a split second. You know, I, um, I really empathize with that, but I think that it's great that women like you are sharing your story because I, I do have other women who come on the podcast who do have Earthside children. And then I have some support groups that meet weekly and a couple of those women have Earthside children and they've experienced miscarriage and they're mixed in with a group of women who have never had Earthside children and experienced miscarriage. And so I've learned a lot about you know, mixing the two is really great because it shows each side what the other side experiences, if that makes sense. It kind of gives us empathy for both sides. Yeah. And I wish that, honestly, I wish that that was kind of the the end of what I experienced with miscarriage was kind of just sharing that, like I took the pills and I was able to um, pass the child at home, but that's not what happened at all. I, um, I honestly don't remember. I don't remember if it was my husband or someone else that got the pills for me, but the plan was I was going to eat because I hadn't eaten and I decided I was going to have subs and sushi because that was what I was stopping myself from having when I was pregnant. And uh, both were closed by the time that I decided that this was going to happen. So I didn't get to have that, which I thought was like a first sign that things were not good. I started looking some things up about taking, um, the pills. And so I finally worked up the courage to take the pills. And so you put them inside your cheeks and you have to sit there and kind of, and let them dissolve. And so I did that and I was exhausted. So I remember falling asleep. It it takes a little bit of time for it to start working. So I woke up and I didn't see any bleeding at first. And so I was really concerned that this didn't work, like that this, this wasn't going to happen. And so I stood up and then as soon as I did, I began to bleed. And so I felt some relief that I was like, okay, this is at least started. This will be over soon. Um, everything that I read, everything that I was told was to expect to have a period, which that was fine with me because I've had heavy periods my whole life. I thought this was okay. Well, that's kind of the route for me to go. I can't even describe to you how much blood that I was losing. Like it, uh, it was so much. Um, and they tell you that if you're filling up, if if you, if you're filling a pad in or two pads in an hour, that you need to go to the emergency room. But that was really hard for me to judge because I would go to the bathroom and as soon as I sat down, there would just be huge gushes of blood. And so, and then I would stop bleeding for, you know, a little bit of time. So it was hard to know like how much blood I was losing in the bathroom versus soaking a pad. Like I, I didn't really know. And then each time wondering, like, as I sat down and as I, I gushed, like, okay, was that it? Did I pass the baby? And then I didn't think about it until I was already well into the process, but I was, I had this very scary moment of like, and then what happens? I, I just flush. Like I, so then I didn't know what to do. And I felt like I was like, 
trying to stop myself from bleeding, which wasn't going to happen. There was a lot of blood. Um, but it was like, a, I, it's something I didn't, I don't know why I didn't think about that ahead of time, but, um, but I didn't. So by the time the morning came, I was really starting to get concerned with how much blood I was losing. So I called my doctor and again, they told me about the, you know, soaking two pads that I need to go to the emergency room. And so I tried explaining, you know, what I was trying to say before that was really hard for me to judge what was happening. And so I decided I was just going to stay in bed for the two hours and just judge it from that point. So not get up and kind of work with that. So the bleeding was there, but it wasn't that bad. So I stood up after the two hours and I had a huge, huge, huge gush of blood. And so I decided, okay, I, I really need to go to the hospital at this point. And I, um, I was sitting on towels and I was soaking through those. And I thought for sure, like I'm, I'm going to die. And again, that guilt of like, this wouldn't have happened if I just would have been okay with having three children kept coming up. Um, and then again, it was like, okay, so we got to the hospital and it was again, telling a person cause they have to, they were, this was a lot of still like the heavy COVID precautions, um, asking me where I was going. And so I had to explain that I was, you know, miscarrying. And so, um, they sent me up to, um, OB instead of the ER, which I thought was probably the best place to be. And then I, at OB, I was told, well, you're technically not pregnant anymore. You need to go to the emergency room. Um, and the emergency room. So first of all, my husband could not be with me because of the COVID, um, precautions at the time. And, um, ER had no idea what to do. Like I was bleeding all through my clothes and kind of everywhere. I could like, honestly see that people were horrified. Like they'd walk in, see how much blood was there. One guy walked in, I don't even know what his role was, but he was like, Oh, this is a lady situation. I'm going to get, bring a woman in. Cause I don't know what's going on. I, I don't even know like who he was, but, and then they kept saying the term missed abortion, which I, I know that's what it's called, but I'm not even, I'm not against abortion. I'm actually very pro-choice, but for me, abortion is a choice. And I hated just that term with what I was experiencing because this wasn't a choice. I was not choosing, you know, to have this happen to me. Um, and so the ER doctor finally came in and did an exam and I could hear how concerned she was with the amount of blood I was losing. She was literally like pulling tissue out of me and I heard her step aside. She's like, okay, I'm going to step aside for a second. And I heard her like very frantically telling a nurse, get OB down here now. This is not something that we can deal with. And so, um, they kept asking if I was in pain and I wasn't, I wasn't in pain. I was just really afraid. I was honest. I kept thinking I was going to die. Um, so the OB actually came down, the um, doctor came down and said that I definitely needed a DNC fast. Um, I was bleeding a lot, but she said, it's actually not the worst she's seen, which somehow comforted me and made me feel um, better. And then even in between time, they were able to sneak my husband in for a little bit. They, we were like in tents at this point, it was inside, but we were tented inside. And so 
they snuck him in and just said, don't tell anyone that we brought you back here, but you were able to see someone, which was really helpful because my cell phone reception wasn't great. And so I wasn't able to like communicate with anyone really the way that I needed to. Um, so my doctor came uh, pretty quickly, which was nice. I think he was there for a delivery. And so um, he just brought me up to the surgical floor. Um, he's like, I just don't like that they're not moving fast enough. And he's like, if we go up, they'll accommodate us. And they were mad <laughs> that they said, you know, we don't have a room yet. And he's like, okay, well, we'll wait here. And so they did accommodate me much uh, quicker because of that. So I was, you know, grateful for that. Um, so, but I felt like everything was happening so fast and I was like very concerned about dying that I didn't get to actually process what was happening with um, the child or losing my child. And so I had the DNC that was done. And um, so at, that was kind of when I finally felt like, okay, this is, this is finally done. Um, and so I could start to deal with everything. And even then at that point, so like I came home and talking about telling my children, my daughter in particular still does it. Um, I know it's not meant to be in a harmful way, but she'll say like something, something will happen. And then she'll say, yeah, cause the baby died. And I don't, it's just like the very forward way she says it, it cuts me or she'll, um, ask questions like, yeah. Or I hear her telling people like, yeah, my mom's baby died, you know, but it's just kind of, I don't know. It's just the way she says it. And so it's like continually, she often will tell people before I do, or if it's like not something that I'm sharing at the moment. So she often has me tell people or explain situations, um, even when I'm not ready to. So I, and I have talked to her, like it's, it's hurtful. You can talk about it. Cause I want to be open and honest with them, but it's just, I don't know. It's something about like her, she just cuts right to it. It's just, I don't know why it's very hurtful for me though, but, um, I did make the decision to make a social media post about losing the baby. And I had so many women reach out both publicly and privately to me telling their stories about what happened. I had no idea. There were women that, like I said, I was very close with. I had no idea that this was happening to so many women. Um, and kind of case in point, I went to my OB for the follow-up after the miscarriage, just to make sure everything was good. And he was, it took a, a while for him to come into the room. And when he came in, he apologized for being late, but he said, uh, you know, unfortunately, same thing that happened to you um, is happening to someone right now. And I had to take some time to be with them. And so I like, especially, particularly at that moment, it really hit me. Um, how often this happens to women. And that's kind of actually when I found you Arden and um, as the miscarriage doula and started to really hear other women's stories that this is common and something we can talk about. Um, and so I made the decision that I really wanted to record this podcast, both for myself as a way to um, to always have this because it's not something that I want to look back on. This is actually the first time that I've told the whole story kind of 
um, front to end to someone um, because like my husband was there for pieces. So I didn't feel like I needed to explain, you know, every part, you know, to him, but this is the first time telling it. So I wanted it for myself, but I also wanted it like, because maybe there are women that need to hear this too, that need to kind of hear how things can happen. So that's kind of how I came to this point too. Yeah. Well, and that's the whole reason why I've created this space because oftentimes we don't know what things can look like. And your experience with CiderTech, with having to decide, not even having the decision, but like flushing the toilet. Like I remember when I went through that, I felt so guilty and I, I thought other people don't do that. What a horrible mom I am for doing it. And so the more you listen to stories where these little things come up or going to the hospital, you know, that was my experience with CiderTech too. Had I read or listened to those stories before, maybe I would have been less afraid or I would have known that I was validated in seeking out the hospital. And so I, I think that sharing the details is so important. Um, because women are always going to experience pregnancy loss, unfortunately. Um, but we can make a difference in knowing where the resources are and knowledge is power, right? That's why we're all here. Yeah, that's what it's been. Um, even just sharing parts with people, it's been both helpful and hurtful to like, it feels like every time that I tell it, I, or I went to the dentist and um, I had gone to the dentist right before I miscarried. And so when I walked in, they said, oh, oh we, we had you done that. You were, you know, cause I'm coming up to what my due date would be like, oh, we thought that you'd be really pregnant, you know, right now. And so it's like, oh. you have to just explain like over and over again, like, well, I, you know, I, I was pregnant I had a miscarriage. And so, and I know it's not people's intent to hurt, but it does. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine you know, not being aware of miscarriage and saying something like that to somebody. Like I, I have a memory of somebody that is not a friend, but an acquaintance that I see out and about. And I remember they announced that they were pregnant on Facebook. And then I saw her a few months later and she didn't look, you know, any more pregnant than she was the last time I had seen her. And so I remember thinking, um, you know, something must have happened, but I didn't say anything. <laughs> like, it's so strange that some people, their first thought is to say, oh, I thought you'd be more pregnant by now. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. And then it is, it's honestly very interesting what people do say to you. And again, I don't think it comes from a bad place, but even like one of the nurses, when I was in the emergency room said, this is for the best. There was something wrong with the baby oh. body handled it, you know, like it's just it's odd, yeah. like people, and I don't think she meant it in a bad way, you know, and she shared, you know, I had a miscarriage too. So it wasn't that like, it was meant in a bad way, but it's just, it's not what you need to hear. No, of course. I have learned, you know, talking to so many people that people are comforted by all different types of things. Some people are really comforted by the everything happens for a reason aspect some people are not comforted by that. Some people are comforted and thinking that the baby wasn't healthy and this was for the best. And I've never been one to see it that way with my losses, but I do know people who find comfort in those words. Um, so I don't really know what the happy medium is. Maybe 
I've gotten better at asking people like what they, what words are their triggers or what they, where they think their baby is, you know, if they're religious and, and are thinking that their baby is in heaven and that brings them comfort. And so I, I wonder if it's our generation that's just starting to have more uncomfortable conversations where maybe the generations after us will, it won't be uncomfortable because it'll just be a normal sit, like a normal conversation to ask somebody how they want to be supported or how we can support them or, you know, their beliefs or or things like that. I think that knowing how somebody receives support is key to not having those phrases said in public spaces. It's horrible. Yeah. I, I mentioned to you that I'm a professor. So I shared with my students um, in the beginning of the semester that I had had a miscarriage, you know, that I was kind of working through that. And I did that very intentionally that one, I wanted to make it visible that I, I teach in a program, it's speech language pathology. So it's mostly women. And so I wanted, because chances are, someone in my classes, you know, will experience that too. So I wanted to kind of put that out there visibly, but even kind of what you were saying with the way that my students responded to me has been very different generationally than how other people um, responded to the situation. So it was a lot of um, just listening and just like, thank you for sharing versus like the, the explanation kind of path of things. Oh, that gives me so much hope for the future of the world because <laughs> it's hard. I mean, it's hard when our parents, you know, they, I don't know about you, but my mom had a miscarriage, but she never talked about it. Nobody ever asked her about it. People knew about it, but it was just like, you don't talk about it. Um, if you do, then you might cause another one or things like that. Um, and you know, that's where you said, once you shared about your miscarriage, people that you know, came forward about their miscarriages. And it's just, it's a generational difference, I think, where it's been so taboo and yeah. it's just not talked about. And And I think that our generation is really changing that. And I think that it's both a really sad thing that needs to, you know, it's, it's sad that it's happening and that it's kind of put on our generation to get uncomfortable, but I think it's going to really benefit our kids and our kids' kids as well. Yeah. I keep thinking about, you know, my kids will, will know that this has happened and how they're going to approach the situation when it, if it happens to them or people, you know, they know, and kind of, you know, moving forward, I I am very open with my kids about a lot of things. And so I thought that this should be no different. And that's kind of brings me to my last point that I am pregnant again. Um, So I was really unsure if I wanted to try again. Um, but what I decided was that I, we'd like to try no matter what happened. So if I miscarried again or anything that happened, this was going to be the last pregnancy, but I thought I did. And it did, it took a, some time for me to come you know, to that decision because right after I was kind of dead set on not doing anything. Um, but so I am pregnant again. And then that brought up a lot of anxiety of, do we tell people or do we keep it a secret? Do we tell the kids? Cause we told the kids really early with, um, with the pregnancy that I lost with my, the fourth pregnancy. And so, um, we told them really early. So this time we really had to debate because I just couldn't stand like sharing with them again. Um, if I lost the child again. And so 
eventually I kind of thought, but you know what, if I, if something happened, if I did miscarry, I would tell them at that point. And so why not share the news? It took a little bit of time, you know, for that, but then there also comes like doubting every aspect, like feeling sick is terrible. And then when I just feel okay, um, I'm wondering, okay, something happened. Cause I don't feel sick right now. Or like, um, I went in for my ultrasound and we saw the heartbeat, but immediately after I was like, how do I know something didn't happen an hour later? Cause there's just, there's no way of knowing. And so I keep telling myself I'm 14 weeks now that the further that I get along that maybe I'll feel better. And it hasn't happened yet. Maybe it will. I, I say like, oh, maybe when I can feel kicks, like maybe, maybe that'll be, you know, reassuring to me. But then I also know, like, I'm going to be counting those kicks. And when they just, maybe the baby just isn't moving as much. I'm going to be really concerned about that. So it, it, with every kind of stage that passes, there is a little bit of relief, but it's also just replaced by new anxiety of what's going to happen. And particularly lately, I think because I'm coming up to my due date. Um, it's just, it's a lot of guilt too. Like kind of even what you were saying, like what, what our family have been with this other child, would it have been a boy or a girl and how would that have changed our family dynamic? And we would have been welcoming a child at this point. What would that have done? You know, my son is my youngest son is 16 months now, you know, what would that have looked like? And so it's, I, it's still a process of working through everything. I really thought that like being pregnant would bring a lot of relief and that's just not the case. <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I resonate with that a lot. And I think one thing to think about is how the baby that you lost, you know, you mentioned how that dynamic would have changed, um, who they would have been, you know, how your family would have looked different But the truth is, is that they have changed your family dynamic and they have changed the way your family looks. It just, the change is so different than you expected it to be. And that's part of the grief. Um, But they still impacted your family and they still, you know, you're sharing their story here where their legacy is you sharing your story with other women and being open about that. And then this baby that you're carrying will know just how bad they were wanted that through fear you persevered and you tried and fought to get to them. Um, You know, there's a lot of layers to it and it's all really confusing. I don't know if it ever like is not confusing. Um, In my experience with pregnancy after loss, I tell everybody the sweet spot was like 17 weeks to 26 weeks. And I have no idea (laughs) why that was, but like on the outside of those weeks, I was just anxious, but I did, you know, in my experience, I did have a couple of months of the pregnancy where I felt decently. Okay. You know, still anxious, but a little less anxious. Yeah. And it was something that you mentioned to me, you know, when we worked together, but it's what I've really been trying to focus on is I'm the person that I am naturally, just how anxious I am naturally. I I know I'm not going to be able to enjoy every moment of this pregnancy, but it is my last. And so I'm trying to find moments, however small that they are, that I enjoy this and that I 
and then I, I try like in that space where I'm not worried or I'm feeling good, I'm really trying to focus on those times, however long they last, which is, I'm usually a person that's either looking back, I'm mostly stuck in the past or yeah. <laughs> the future or in the future of like making plans. So I'm very rarely present, but that's something I've really been trying to focus on. Cause I don't want to wish it away. Um, like even with my son being young, it's, um, like there's so much that I want him to do like, Oh, if he could, you know, do this independently, everything would be easier. But I know that as soon as he does that, I'm going to remember, like, I'm going to want those times back. And so I'm trying not to wish my pregnancy away and just, you know, and deliver the baby because I'm trying to still like honor what's happening right now. Yeah. And it is so hard. I, I have learned that like motherhood, whether you have your children here or not, is just the most confusing, weirdest. <laughs> it's the, the, the weirdest time. Um, you know, because you, especially whenever you have really hard days, rather it's with an earth side child, a pregnancy, um, you kind of wish that day away because it's been so hard or because you're so anxious, but then you have days where you're like, oh, the next time I'm anxious, I'm not going to wish that away. I'm just going to be in the moment. <laughs> and it's all, oh, it's all so weird. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, Audrey, thank you so much for sharing your story on the podcast. Um, it was an honor talking to you again and in hearing your story and connecting with you please keep us updated on your pregnancy. I know we're recording this probably about a month before it comes out. So mm -hmm. if you do have anything that you want to add, any tips that you learned with handling um, the anxiety, or if you have any updates like feeling movements, feel free to let me know and I can add that in the episode because I think that people love updates. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Audrey, thank you so much. And I will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. And thank you for this time and space. It is really important.